When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Hello and welcome to the Back Nine Report. We go live every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and checking on the world of golf to bring you the latest news, insights, analysis, interviews, recaps, previews, Hey, we cover anything and everything golf. In other words, if it happened in golf, you know we have it for you. My name is Carlos Torres. Every week, I'm alongside my co-host, Fred Alvader. Fred, hi, how are you today? Well, Carlos, you know, the 2020 Winter Golf Tour uh, still continues. Uh, We had a great weekend at the Toledo Golf Show uh, we met some very interesting people that I'm sure we'll be, we'll be hearing more from in the near future. Uh, made my way back to Phoenix on Monday. We drove down to Las Cruces, New Mexico. Uh, we stayed uh, last night there, and then we've headed east into Texas today. Made it clear across to Fredericksburg, a quaint historical town about 70 miles northwest of San Antonio and about 70 miles southwest of Austin. Uh, here in the uh, Texas Hill Country. Um, Lots of German heritage here. Um, It it, uh, honors the original settlers of this area. It's a a big German uh, encampment that came here, and and it's very, very cool in their downtown area. They've preserved a lot of the old buildings, and it's it's really, really nice. Um, We want to remind our listeners, Carlos, of the ongoing contest where they can enter to win a trip to French Lick, Indiana, French Lick Resort is a joy for the whole family, but especially so for golfers. That's why Backdine Report is happy to bring this contest to them. We're giving away two nights lodging at the French Lick Springs Hotel and Casino, plus a round of golf for two at the historic Donald Ross Course at French Lick. The Ross Course opened for play in 1917, and a scant seven years later, Walter Hagen won the 1924 PGA Championship there. It has been internationally acclaimed ever since, and it hosts a uh, Sumatra Tour event every year. It's easy to enter, Carlos. Simply visit ohiogolfjournal.com. Click on the link just below the headline pictures at the top of the page. Enter your contact information. You will be entered to win this outstanding trip to one of the best resorts in the country. Remember, visit ohiogolfjournal.com. Click on the Register Now button right below Jack Nicholas's picture. Carlos, top golf stories this week includes that we're going to be talking about Patrick Reed beat Bryson DeChambeau to win the WGC Mexico. I'm not sure who fans are rooting for in that. Victor Hovland won the opposite field event in Puerto Rico. I know you're happy to see that. And the PGA Tour moves to Florida for the Honda Classic this week, minus some very big names. So, we got a lot of golf to talk about. Let's get to it. Let's go. Yeah, first of all, you said top golf stories. And I said, like, yeah, we have one on the Par 5 News. I, I didn't know it was so big that you were going to mention that at the beginning. But then I realized you said the top golf stories. Oh, okay. That, that was like, yeah, you wow. Go. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, now and then, uh, 
Regarding Fredericksburg, yeah, that's a city in central Texas. Uh, it's known for its wineries there. Uh, it has a, a pioneer yeah. museum where that uh, German heritage is on display. And then there's some cities, and the, the, maybe the most known with the German heritage is New Braunfels. It's closer to San Antonio. Fredericksburg, like you say, is more west. Uh, like in between mm-hmm. Austin and, and San Antonio, if you would say that, but it's more to the west. But it's a really, really nice city uh, to visit there here in Texas. And uh, regarding Victor Hovland, I don't know why you say that. I would be happy. I mean, it's not like I predicted that he was going <laughs> to win it this past week. It's not. I mean, who would bring that up? I, I would. I don't know. Say I can't imagine you would think that he would week. win. <laughs> why would? I, why would I bring that up that I did that last week? But anyway, now let, let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to the. To the we got, we've been saying he's going to win since since last fall when he when he started when he got out of college and started playing pro. We said he was going to win right away. Remember, yeah, remember I said last week, November eight, yeah, February eighteenth. Yeah. I said, hey, yep. he's going to win the Puerto Rico Open. I said it. So anyway, got it done. I can I can I got to bring the audio to, to so people don't remember <laughs> that. <but anyway. laughs> We'll see. We'll see. I'll bring it up sometime. Anyway, let's talk about the first, uh, the big tournament on the PGA Tour was uh, the WGC Mexico. And there, the story, like you said, was either Patrick Reed or Bryson DeChambeau. But then Patrick Reed played amazing that Sunday. I mean, those birdies that he did on the back nine, four birdies. And, and like, we're going to talk about this later on the practice range about Patrick Reed and what he's meaning right now to golf and his uh, I'm not going to give it away but anyway he definitely shut down not only the, the the challenges from a big leaderboard I mean he had to fend off Bryson DeChambeau who was playing amazing Roy McIlroy the world's number one John Ram who was trying to go for world's number one if he would have won and Eric Van Ruyen all were there with, with a shot of winning. And even the noise from the people and all that pressure from that leaderboard didn't make a dent on him. It was like he even got better. At the end, he was the one who got the job done. And we got to say, since dating back to last summer, he has been on a superb run. He got him into the, the president's job. And he's really been playing amazing. He has now nine top tens in his last 22 starts, including his win here in Mexico and at Liberty National in the Northern Trust that was back in September. And now he has moved back inside the world's top ten. He's up to eighth with his second win in this tournament after winning at Doral in 2014. So he has won in both venues for that. And got to say, this was a very strong field. Yeah, there were some players, top players that were not here, but still it was a strong field in Mexico. He closed out with a 67 and won it there. But really, I, I can say that that stretch of those three consecutive birdies, 15, 16, and 17, with the people there shouting at him or at Bryson. And like you say, I don't know who they were, <laughs> who they were rooting for or not, but he was cool, calm, and collected, and he was, like, thriving on it. Those three consecutive birdies really given the win. Uh, and he just needed 98 putts. His putter was on fire all week long. On the four tournament days, that was – 
plus 11, 824 on the field in strokes gained putting. He also had 45-1 putts for the week. That's the most by, by a PGA Tour winner in more than 30 years. That's how good Patrick was winning. He even knew he could afford to bogey the 18 and still win, and that's what he did because after he had that wayward tee shot, he just played it safe and uh, did a bogey, but still that was enough to win PGA Tour title number eight and $1.82 million. Fred, I know we're going to talk about uh, Patrick Reed on the on the practice range, so I don't want to go too much into this, but this is a show again of his mental strength, especially after comments by Brooks Kepka and by Peter Costas this past week about his two-stroke penalty at the Hero World Challenge in December and uh, another tournament before by Peter Costas, which we also will discuss. But I can't believe it. He's, he really is thriving on pressure. <laughs> I have to laugh because while you were talking, I wrote down just a couple notes to comment on, okay, while you to 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 uh, hit on from what you said to elaborate on, and you summed them up. You you used the exact same words that I used in my notes, uh, in as <laughs> you were throwing it back to me. Um, yeah, yeah, he thrives. He absolutely thrives on that kind of situation. You know, the crowds were really close there. You know, the tree. It's a tree line golf course. It's not a big golf course. And uh, and he they all kept hitting it over the trees anyhow, so he's right over in among the crowd uh, quite a bit. Um, and he actually he loves he thrives on that. And when Kepka's jabbing him in the press or Costas is jabbing him in the press, I, he takes that and he uses that for motivation or something. I don't know. He just he loves that kind of stuff. We're going to talk about that more later, so I'm not going to get into it any more on that. But. Um, well, I think one of the big stories, Carlos, is the fact that Justin Thomas just went completely south on Sunday. He was the 54-hole leader, uh, shot a 70 through, fell all the way down to uh, tied for sixth um, with Tyrell Hatton and Hideki Matsuyama, who Hatton had a really good tournament uh, over here on this side of the Atlantic. That uh, That's really good for him. Abraham Answer was the low Mexican at T12. Um, DeChambeau, uh, he was close. He had one of the lower rounds of the day at 65, but he just couldn't quite get it done there at the end. He came up just one short to read. Um, and I don't know, it, he didn't seem particularly sharp. I don't know, maybe it was a pressure or whatever it was on Sunday. Um, but <laughs> Reed, well, I, you know, you talked about Reed's putting. I think he, he had less than 100 putts for the week. I think he only had like 98 or 99 putts for a whole week. 72 98, holes, 98. Yeah, yeah, 98 putts in 72 holes. That's that's unbelievable. Uh, nobody does that. And those greens were not that great. Um, the, the balls were bouncing all over. Uh, I'll bet P, the, the players were really bitching back in the locker room. Uh, if you had an uphill putt, especially an uphill putt into the grain, as long and shaggy as those were, I, I mean, I saw it just looked like a Brillo pad it would just, or, or Velcro. They, boom, they would just stop dead. Um, looked like it should roll out another foot or something or six inches, and boom, they just died. Or they go right up the hole and break off because they were into the grain or whatever. So you had to be pretty aggressive and pretty confident to make putts. Evidently, you know, that fit right into Patrick Reed's style. Um, i got to put this in. 
just for Kyrian. Robert McIntyre was a low Scotsman in Mexico, finishing T42. I know uh, Kyrian has been watching uh, McIntyre and, and really likes him. Defending champ Matt Kuchar, he avoided any further international caddy incidents by finishing T22, so no problem there. So, Carlos, that's kind of the highlights that I had that I saw from the tournament this week. Yeah, just to reiterate, yes, it was 98 putts for the four tournament days and 41, 45 one putts. Again, that was the most by a PGA Tour winner in more than 30 years. And just two more things that I want to point out before moving away from this one is two more important things I want to mention. One of them is that Colin Morikawa has now reached the top 50 faster than Rory McIlroy, Jordan Spieth, Dustin Johnson, or Ricky Fowler. Wow. With his superb finish. I mean, he has achieved that feat in just 36 weeks, climbing from outside the world's top 1,000 into the top 50 faster than them. So he's the fifth fastest player since the inception of the official World Cup rankings to climb from outside of the 1,000 into the top 50 after Ben Curtis, Sean O'Hare, Tiger Woods, and Patrick Cantley. So if he can finish somewhere around where Tiger Woods has done it, oh, my God. Colin Marikawa uh, finished uh, T-44. It wasn't a big uh, finish for him, but a big outing for him. And uh, Sander Shoffley gets my weekend warrior mentioned after the day. He had the best weekend. He started 72-72 and then finished 66-66 to go all the way up to T-14. So who would have known he was way out and finished T-14. So anyway, with that, we close the WGC Mexico. Now move on to the Puerto Rico Open where somebody in this show last week predicted that Victor Hovland was going to win the Puerto Rico Open. I'm not saying who. I'm just saying somebody. There's two people in this show, and one of them said that last week. Stoutly said that. November? I mean, November. November you, February 18th, you were right 2020. Again. You're right again. He said it. Victor. But let me tell you, you have to bounce back. I, I was watching, especially Puerto Rico, as you may all know by now, is my homeland. I, I used to go to Puerto Rico Open every year. I know that course. I know the, the I've seen it. I've covered that, that tournament. And um, one of the things that attracted me, now, it wasn't because I, I was told by a friend of mine, Yesterday, when I told him, you know, see, I told you that Victor Hoffman, he said, yeah, you picked the top player in the in the field. Well, not the top <laughs> player in the field wins all the time. You know, it doesn't no. happen. Like, did Rory McIlroy won WGC Mexico? No, he didn't. So, anyway, uh, he really had a rough final round. I, I was afraid after he took the lead after day two that he might, he was, we were going to learn if he really was, had the metal to resist or just go away and uh, not win it. So if he was going to fold or he was going to thrive on it. And at some point, I think he had, this tournament is going to serve as a learning lesson for him because he really had to bounce back. He had a final round triple bogey, and he still won his first professional title there at the Puerto Rico Open. That lengthy birdie on the 72nd hole and – I got to tell you that everybody that plays the Puerto Rico Open, that last hole, the 18, you want to be level with the hole. He was behind 
on the lower side. And he had that lengthy putt on the 72nd hole to win, and he did it. I mean, he became the first Norwegian winner, and he had began the day two ahead of Josh Teeter. He was still two ahead after 10, but... Man, then all of a sudden that triple bogey, I said like, oh man. Even Victor, when they asked him after the, the tournament, he said that, that was like a train wreck. What happened to him? So luckily for him, Peter had uh, that bogey, bogey in the back nine too. So all for him was not lost. I mean, he he steadied the ship going back and 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 won the tournament. Uh, he rolled that long birdie putt, and then the celebration was going on. He won $540,000, moves up to a career-high 60th in the world from 104th. And uh, his words were, it feels crazy being here. It was an amazing feeling to get my first win. So, Victor Hovland, I think, Fred, that uh, we have talked about him. This is not, not news. Uh, him, Colin Morikawa, and Matthew Wolves are like the up-and-coming three youngsters that we, we can see on the PGA Tour. And we already talked about Colin Morikawa reaching the top 50. Uh, Victor Hovland is already up to number 60 in the world. So it's not news that he is winning or making this uh, this gains and this uh, improvement. The news to me, Fred, is that it tested him under tough conditions and learn how to win because he had to, he was up, he was down. He was uh, after that triple bogey. I, I, I honestly thought, man, he's just going to fold. I don't think he's just 22 years old. He's playing with a lot of veterans there, uh, but the, the, the people were behind him. So he rallied behind, he steadied the ship and won. So I think this is going to be, like I mentioned about Tony Finau and some other players that have won the Puerto Rico Open that use it as a springboard to better things. Even Jordan Spieth, a second place, jump, uh, make him jump up and then go on and won at the John Deere that year in his rookie year. So what's your take on the Puerto Rico Open, especially on Victor Hufflin? Yeah, you. Uh, I mean, you're you're right on. Uh, I mean, this is a stop that's known for maiden victories of guys that have gone on to have really stellar PGA Tour careers, and so Victor Hovland is just really another in that line. Um, you know, as we both know, he's a standout star from Oklahoma State. Took them to the NCAA Championships. Former teammate of Matthew Wolf, and in conjunction with Colin Marikawa who have both won already on the PGA Tour. I'm talking about Wolf and Morikawa. Those are the three young guys to watch on the PGA Tour right now, maybe throw in Joaquin Neiman a little bit. Um, but Hovland was, of course, the 2018 U.S. Amateur Champ, finished low amateur at both the Masters and the U.S. Open last year before he turned professional. He has had superstar written all over him, and this could be the start of many wins to come in the future for this young Norwegian. Uh, Carlos, we have seen the Puerto Rico Championship be a springboard, as you said, for many young players in the past, and I think Hovland will continue that tradition, and it's really hard not to tie Hovland, Morikawa, and Wolf together to watch them as three young guys as they move along in their PGA Tour careers right now. Yeah, they are the up-and-comers, and we will. We have been talking about them for the past couple of years, but more especially since they turned pro. And uh, 
with Victor Hovland, what we have been talking about is his chances and his will and desire to make the Ryder Cup. That's not something, that's something that he's going to have to earn. He's not going to get there even on, a, on an invite unless he's really playing really, really well and he's close to, to being one of the automatic picks. But this is going to be one, one win and one experience that I know that he is going to uh, relish and is going to help him moving forward. Hey, Carlos. So if, hey, if you have any other final we, words we, on it? Well, yeah, I do. Yeah, go ahead. Um, before you get away from that, so of those three, okay, of Hovland, Morikawa, and Wolf, I think we both felt that Hovland would be kind of at the head of that class, and yet Wolf and Morikawa both won last fall on regular PGA Tour events, so they're into the Masters. Um, Hovland, this is an opposite field event, so he's not into the Masters, but he could slip in if he could move up just a little bit in the world rankings yet with a couple more finishes. He could do that, a couple more good finishes. But we both felt, I think, that Hovland would probably be ahead of Morikawa and Wolf, but um, he's not quite ahead of them yet. He's a little bit slower to develop. Wouldn't you agree? I would agree. But I think also that he took the, a different route than what the other two did. They, the other two concentrated more on the PGA Tour. Victor, I guess because he was maybe advised for it to go more on the European Tour, has not had that same even though you might argue that he, it would have been easier for him to win on the European Tour than go and because on the tournaments that he won, but to me he would he would have been better starting off on the PGA Tour and then try to make those points for the for the Ryder Cup. I, I understand his status is different than Matthew and Colin, who are Americans, and uh, they are more on the developmental side. But Victor has a clear goal. Is one of them is just make it to the Olympics and make it to the Ryder Cup. So for him to do that, he had to take this other route. At the end, I think it's paying off for him. And uh, it'll pay off eventually. I mean, I think he, this was a yeah. more heated contest for him. And he's developing into that player, especially the way and the demeanor that we saw on that in this tournament it convinced me that really he has what it takes, and uh, I think it's going to pay off. He's been behind, I agree, but I think it's going to pay off in the long run, the the route that he took. And I think you're exactly right, too. Uh, when I saw he made that triple bogey, I thought, uh-oh, you know, it's going to go to his head. He's going to be done. But he battled back from that and still got the win. So uh, that was a really good sign. That's a really good learning uh, uh, application right there. So uh, I think that will serve him well going forward, Carlos. We'll definitely be watching. And with that, we wrap up our weekend backspin. And now let's talk about what's going to happen this week on the four call. There are four tournaments that we're going to talk to you about. The first one is on the PGA Tour. You know, the West Coast was fun. <laughs> awesome. They were very entertaining. But now the PGA Tour will be launching their annual Florida Swing this weekend. And that is with the Honda Classic. They play it at the PGA National Champion Course in Palm Beach Gardens. And usually... The main attraction in the Honda Classic is never a player. No, I mean, it doesn't matter who's playing there. It's an animal thing. It's called the bear trap. If this is new to you, get used to it because you're going to hear about it a lot. So you might as well understand what's that if you don't know. If it's new, let me tell you that holes 15, 16, and 17 comprise a challenging trio for the players. 
that is a part three, part four, part three stretch, and it really demands confidence and precision from the players. Really, they're scared of it. In conditions, let's put it this way. Last year, conditions were docile compared to what they usually are there. And those holes under those conditions, the average, as a set, as a set of three, the average strokes was 0.319. So over par, not under, over par. And that was on docile conditions. That was the lowest aggregate since they were just – 0.006 strokes lower in 2013. Now, when Breeze is up, like it's expected this week, this week's field will land between maybe last year's clip and the 2018 average, which was 1.186 strokes over a par. Now, there's going to be a very good list of players like Brooks Kepka, Justin Rose, Shane Lowry, Gary Woodland, Tommy Fleawood, Ricky Fowler, Lee Westwood, Ian Poulter, Victor Hovland's going to be there. Matthew Wolf is going to be there. And the player to watch is really Billy Horschel because he's returning to his home state, playing some solid golf. And Fred, he's fresh off consecutive top 10 finishes at the Waste Management Open, also at the WC Mexico Championship, where he closed with a 68 and 65 on the weekend. He, he also thrives in this course. So interesting uh, tournament not the kind of field that we would expect for the Honda Classic, but still plenty of firepower to watch this weekend. Yeah, um, really surprising, too, because, like, Justin Thomas, Rory, Tiger, I mean, it's a home game. They live there. Um, you know, it really surprising they're not playing, but they just feel they need the time off, and the compressed schedule strikes again. So even though it's a home game for some of these guys, they just don't feel like they, they, they got to get a week off someplace, and this is it. Um, the other part of this thing is uh, not showing much love for Jack Nicklaus uh, because the big benefit, the real winner in this Honda Classic is the Nicklaus Charities. Uh, last year alone, the Honda Classic distributed $5.1 million um, to 157 Southeast Florida charities that impacted the lives of 75,000 children. That I mean, that's 5.1 million, 157 charities, 75,000 children. That that is those are fantastic numbers. The 5.1 million last year is up 550,000 from 2018, and they're looking for 2020 to you know be another 500,000 or so up from that. So. Uh, they, they keep helping more kids. They keep helping more uh, medical facilities, more medical care to children in southeast Florida and really all over Florida, not just southeast Florida. But, uh, you know, Barbara Nicholas took the lead with that. Jack is on board, and they just do a fantastic job down there. Um, so the big winner there is Charity, Carlos. The big news out of the Honda Classic is the guys that aren't there. Uh, and the other part of that then is 15 and 17 when the wind is blowing. Well, even if the wind isn't blowing, those are really difficult par threes. And um, I played them once. I don't really need to play them again. Um, I donated a ball <laughs> or two for sure. And uh, uh, but those are really hard, especially especially 17. Man, that is really a hard par three. Yeah, 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 definitely. Hey, if you wanna, if you one interesting note that I'm gonna give you guys is that this, if you're gonna watch it on TV, you know, let me tell you that Christy Kerr is gonna be back in action on the golf course. 
but I'm not saying she's playing there. She's going to be without her clubs because Golf Channel is going to be using her for her for the Under Classic. This will be. This is not the first time. This is actually the third time that Golf Channel will be making an appearance. She will be making an appearance in the Golf Channel. She was back in the Orlando, Florida studio. That was during the Sony Open last year, and she was in the booth with Judy Rankin. And uh, on the ground with uh, Jerry Foltz, that was in November for the LPGA Tours uh, season-ending CME Group Tour Championship, of which uh, she was there. Uh, but what really made it work for her was this break in the schedule, because since the LPGA Tour is off for a month because of the 3HA events that were canceled, she said, okay, well, she would have not been eligible for them anyway, but she said, you know, that break made it possible for her. So if, you, if you want to watch Christy, she really, I like the way that she talks. I mean, she, she has been one never short of words, and she's never short of words when she's on TV also. So if you want to watch, I, I encourage you to watch Christy Kerr talking. I don't know how they're going to be using her, but she's going to be as part of the coverage for the, on the Classic. The PGA Tour will return next week also for the Arnold Palmer Invitational. Now let's move on to the European tour that they continue to seek out the sun. So it's back to the Middle East for another two-week stretch for them. It starts this week with the Oman Open before heading to a new course in Qatar for the Commercial Bank Qatar Masters next week. But the Al Mouj in Muscat, it's a host venue. It's going to be just the third time for this event. But although that Part 72 course was used on the Challenge Tour from 2013 to 2017, so there's more more course form to go at than on first glance when you talk about that. A little bit about that course is a Greg Norman design, and it's one that is really interesting to look at. I, I would say that Chris Wood probably described it best when he said, that is probably one of the best desert courses you'll see, although you say desert course, but it's really on the sea. I mean, it's a bit of a mix between a lynx and a desert course. It's a really beautiful scenery. So if you're going to watch it on TV, the course lies on the edge of the Indian Ocean in Muscat. It's overlooking the Gulf of Oman, of Oman. So it's a really unique setting. Last year's winner, Kurt Kitayama, won't be defending, but Juice Leuten, who won it in 2018, will be making the field. Fred, Thomas Peters and Martin Keimer will add some Ryder Cup flavor, but to be honest, it's a weak field with the most of the elite Europeans now heading to the Florida Swing because they're on the build-up to the 2020 Masters. So uh, what's your take on the Oman Open? I got something for you. I'll bet you didn't know, Carlos. The Oman All Open right, will let's... become the first the first European tour event to offer competitors bamboo tees. The Ocean Tee, the creators of the biodegradable golf tees, gave are given all the competitors these, wanted to use them so that they can put this tee in the ground and you don't have to worry about it. If you break it and you throw it over the side, it's gonna Go away. You don't have to. It's not like a hard plastic tee or a wood tee. It's going to be around for years, create problems for the mower blades and all that kind of stuff. So the uh, the Oman Golf Committee's championship tournament director, Jamie Wood, said, we're committed to reducing our impact on the environment. So working with Ocean Team makes complete sense. 
The products are fantastic. Give us a relatively low-cost way to showcase the Oman Open's commitment to environmental responsibility. Oman Open. It's an event on the European tour, also helping the environment. Carlos. Wow, I really didn't know that. Now I'm going to have to go. Don't have a comeback for that, do you? <laughs> no. <laughs> I better have some. I better have many on them on, the, on my bag if I'm going to use them. So we'll see. That's interesting. Uh, uh, Google that bamboo tea, and you'll see that what the first thing that comes out is bamboo t-shirts. No, no, bamboo tea. Put the double e, and then you'll get them. But anyway, let's move on to the next one. The LPGA is off. Uh, they cancel events in Thailand, Singapore. Singapore and China, so their next event is in March 19. So the next tournament that we're going to talk about is on the PGA Tour Champions and at the Omni Tucson National Resort. I've been there uh, like four times. It's a nice place. But the crews, you can see them right now doing everything from setting up the grandstands to cutting the grass and more uh, for this week's return uh, to the PGA Tour Champions Cologar Classic Tournament. The organizers said that the eyes of over 35,000 spectators are expected, plus an international television audience. Pros and amateurs will be squaring off in the Jose Cuervo program that's going to be tomorrow on Thursday because the main competition tees off on Friday. It's a three-round event. The top ten on the Trump Cup standings all will be there. Scotty Perel, Brett Quigley, golf's most interesting man, Miguel Antonio Bernard Langer, Doug Barron, Freddie Copples, Stephen Ames, Kevin Sutherland, Woody Austin, and Ernie Els, those are the top ten, but also are going to be playing there. Steve Stricker, finally playing there. Retief Goosen, Paul Broadhurst, Scotty McCarron, and Colin Montgomery, and of course, champ, the defending champion, Mark O'Mara, will be there. Fred, last year was the first time in eight years that Mark O'Mara found the winner's circle. Yeah, he's getting a little bit long in the tooth to be winning on the Champions Tour even. Uh, he's getting up there. Um, this is just the fourth event for the Champions Tour this season, so they're really young in their season. Steve Stricker making a rare start. Uh, Ernie Els is there, you know, and Ernie says, hey, I like this. I'm going to commit to this Champions Tour. This is fun. So I look for him. You know, he did really well in the last event. He was close. Um you got the Charles Schwab Cup uh, reigning champion, Scotty McCarron in the field. Um, you know, guy that's already won this year, Scotty Peril. Uh, maybe the hottest guy on the Champions Tour this season probably is Brett Quigley. He's there as well. So, um, you know, McCarron, runner-up last year to O'Meara. So he might be one of the favorites this week, Carlos. Hey, don't forget about Steve Stricker. He's going to be there, so... Hey, that's going to be interesting. It's a really, really nice feel to talk about. Uh, you're going to see all the top players there. Uh, but let me tell you one thing to close it out on the Color Guard Classic. It's just that it's more than just golf. It's about cancer as well. We always talk yep. about the charities and uh, the Tucson Conquistadores is the organization that handles that part. And the executive director, Judy McDermott, said that the tournament's proceeds support colon cancer awareness and Tucson youth, youth sports. Uh, she said that colon cancer is the second most common cancer killer, but it's the first most preventable. 
if there's an early detection, that's very preventable and treatable. She said that they have given over $36 million away since the conquistadores began, and they're hoping that the proceeds from this event will be about 600000 this year. So they will go strictly to, uh, towards the youth sports in the area. Other proceeds from the event will go towards at-home colon cancer screenings and other awareness initiatives, which is really the strength of ColorGuard. Uh, that's their product, and that's what they do. So anyway, next tournament for the PGA Tour champions will be the whole Classic next week, but that's the ColorGuard Classic this week. Now the fourth tournament that we're going to talk to you about this week is on the Corn Ferry Tour. It's interesting that last week the PGA Tour was in Mexico, and this week their main feeder tour, which is the Corn Ferry Tour, will return after a one-week visit off after one week. I'm sorry, let me take that back. We'll return after one week <laughs> off to visit our neighboring country on the south border. The El Bosque Mex- Mexico Championship by NOAA is back this year. They canceled it last year. They, there was a gas crisis that affected the whole city. But they're back this year. They played at the El Bosque Country Club. And at a first glance, you say, oh, my God, that is a 7,762-yard long uh, course. But now, hey, don't get concerned with that length on the course because if you saw last weekend's uh, WC Mexico, they played at what you can call is a deceptively cozy club, the Golf Chapultepec. That golf course stood at an altitude just north of 7,500 feet. That elevation allows players to attain plenty of distance. I don't know if you saw in the videos, uh, Webb Simpson ripping over 300 yards uh, on, a, on an iron shot. So, you know, naturally, that's because thinner air, and let me get my, my scientific hat here. Naturally, because of thinner air, every ball in it flies further than at sea level. So with El Bosque at an altitude of 6,000 feet above sea level, you can expect the players to easily handle that long course, so don't worry about it. Now, this will be just the sixth tournament off the season for the Corn Ferry Tour, so you might expect the top, the top 25, which is the important ones that are going to earn their automatic PGA Tour card. The movement is very high at this early stage, but it is important for those at the top right now to build a cushion. That way, they can ensure that at the end of the year, no matter what happens, they will have enough earnings to earn that PGA Tour card. The 25 leader right now is Dylan Davis. He's the head of the field alongside with number two, Gabriel Mito Pereira from Chile, and Jared Wolf. But the home fan favorite will be Mexico's own Roberto Diaz, who's currently number seven on that 25. He has played solid so far this year. He has four top 25 in five starts. And Fred, I bet you he's going to draw inspiration from Abraham Anser and Carlos Ortiz, who were T12 and T16 last week at the WGC Mexico. And he will try to delight the home fans with a win. And uh, if that was a preview of what Abraham Anser and Carlos Ortiz did at home with that, fan, with that home crowd, we can expect Roberto Diaz to do very well this weekend. Wasn't it Diaz that did so well at the uh, Mayakoba uh, a couple of years ago? Um, he came out of kind of out of nowhere and really, uh, really lit that up. Uh, he finished top five or something, I think, didn't he? 
Um, but yeah, um, this event was canceled last year. Um, you got a solid field, really. Um, Dylan Wu is, uh, you know, probably one of the highlights you got to watch. Uh, I had Roberto Diaz as a as a guy to mention here to uh, to be a favorite this week. Wesley Bryan's a guy we haven't heard out of lately. Uh, it's time for him to start doing something again. You know, he lost his PGA Tour status. He's back down to the KFT. So I would. And he's too good of a player to uh, to not be up on the PGA Tour. Um, a guy that has had some success here in the past, Chase Wright, finished T3 the last time that uh, the tournament was held here in 2018. And he's made four cuts in five starts this season. So he's playing pretty solid. This could be a good week for him. Um, and Carlos playing in altitude, it, it makes an unbelievable dis- difference. Um, just uh, a week or so ago, I was playing at about 5,000 feet. And uh, I was calculating 10 to 12% uh, additional distance. And I don't know if you saw on Twitter, uh, Rory, Rory's caddy took a picture of the uh, distances that they were figuring for the week on each club. Um, and uh, it was, you know, like 118 yards on his 60-degree, uh, 134 on his uh, gap wedge or something like that, uh, 360 with his driver. Um, it, was, it was just phenomenal stuff. But it was because, again, that that golf course for the WGC Mexico was at altitude and the ball was flying so much farther through that thinner air. Yeah, it's a, it's a challenge in itself to see how far can you drive the ball or just shot it. I mean, you have to throw out all the distances that you have for all your 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 clubs, and that's why most of these players get early in the week to get practice in so that they can get that distance that they're going to have. So they, they play twice and maybe three times before actually playing in that, that kind of altitude. But with that, we wrap up our four call. And Fred, now you have some words for us about Boeing. Well, it's cold and snowy on the golf courses right now at Boeing Resort, but they are offering hot deals for golfers this summer on their 10 courses by top-name designers. They have a course that's just right for every golfer. Visit their website and check out the Champions Golf Package or the Unlimited Golf Package. Both provide for great golf uh, and off the course. You can dine in any of the restaurants, take a lesson from the Boyne Academy, soothe your achy muscles in one of the three spas at any of the three Boyne locations, so um, they, they've got it all up there, fantastic, fantastic uh, resort, Boyne Resort. They have the most golf courses of any resort in the country with 10 courses. So give them a call at 855-813-2109. That's 855-813-2109. Or visit their website, boyne.com forward slash call. That's boyne, B-O-Y-N-E dot com forward slash golf and tell them back nine report sent you. You will be glad you did. Carlos, back to you. All right. Now let's move on to the par five news. Every week we pick five pieces of news worthy mentioning. And uh, this first one that we're going to talk about is about Peter Costas. And uh, I want to divide it in two segments. The first one, because he went uh, scorched earth on CBS, the PGA, over his firing. Uh, he even 
said some apparently some words. I'm not going to repeat them because I don't know if it's true or not. But anyway, uh, he also talked about Patrick Reed and uh, saying that he did see Patrick Reed cheat. And we're going to talk about both things. I think they're two different uh, subjects. I want to take them both. Uh, each one of them at their own. But the first one, he was talking on the No Laying Up podcast. And it might have been his most candid interview since CBS dropped him at the end of last year from its goal coverage uh, over three decades. He had some choice words for them, uh, but he's saying that he believes his blunt style did not match with the tour's emphasis on promotion. He claims that it wants more cheerleaders than analysts. He also said that he thinks the tour had told CBS to get younger. Costas, I mean, he just first joined CBS as an on-course reporter. That was back in 1992. And he said that he recalled when the PGA Tour criticized him for a winner's interview when he conducted with an unidentified rookie. He said that at the end of that interview, he asked the player his thoughts. Hey, you know, you have now a spot in the Masters in addition to your two-year exemption. How do you feel about it? But then Costa says that CBS got a call from an executive, CBS executive in New York, apparently because somebody on the PGA Tour called CBS and told him, hey, you didn't start mentioning he earned 500 FedEx Cup points. So he continued to, to leave the FedEx Cup out of his post-round interviews with winners, and he believes that led to a diminished role and eventually played a part in him losing his job altogether. Fred, this is the first part of it. Uh, I would like to for you to comment on what you think about what he's saying, uh, You know, basically blaming a conspiracy between P- the PGA Tour and the CBAs to get him fired. First of all, Carlos, it is no secret. You know, I've talked about it. The PGA Tour wants to control everything. They're kind of like the masters. They want to control it. They want to control the message. They want to control what's being said. They want to control the production. And so, and you can just see on the instant incident that he mentions that some FedEx Cup uh, guy, marketing guy, called the, the PGA Tour and said, hey, how come Costas didn't mention the FedEx Cup points in the interview? So you can just see that happening. I'm sure it happened. Okay. Now, take that out. Second point is that Costas should keep his goddamn mouth shut. Um, he had had a great run on the broadcast. He still recognized as one of the top PGA, top uh, golf analysts, top golf people in the country. He was getting stale. There's no question about it. People were getting tired of listening to him. You know, you got to change that stuff once in a while, Carlos. You just have to. You know that. And and uh, we change we change the show from time to time because we feel like it's getting stale. People want to hear different stuff. And so I, I might even have to fire myself because people are getting tired of listening to me rant. But that being said, <laughs> <laughs> that being said, uh, Casas needs to kind of be quiet a little bit. Um, he he had a great run on CBS, and his time is over. Uh, and the PGA Tour probably did talk to CBS and say, hey, let's get some new blood in there. They didn't make an improvement with Davis Love. I mean, that was they actually went downhill with that. I'm sorry, unless they can get Davis to pick up his game a little bit there. 
Um, so a lot of sour grapes from Peter Casas. And then uh, the, the last point I'm going to make is that uh, FedEx is paying uh, $70 million uh, to get their name on the, the uh, broadcast. And so it's probably not too much to ask the, the broadcasters to mention those points. I get tired of hearing them. I'm sure you do. I'm sure all golf fans do. But FedEx is paying the tab for that. And so uh, they, they are do that. So, um, and yeah, I won't go with the Peter uh, Patrick Reed thing right now. So I'll just leave my comments to that right now. All right. So, yeah, no, I agree with you 100%. I think it's a mix of things. And Peter has his right to feel uh, like he was basically the PGA Tour got him out. But it, it, I agree with you, you know, whether we, you like it or not, you're being paid to do something. Yes, they're giving you the liberty to do some things uh, that your own coverage style, but you have to abide by the rules because that's your employer. So if they want to say, they want you to say 500 points, you want it, just start out by saying it and then just go on about your your own thing. But yeah, it's it's a mix of things. Uh, he had a nice run. It's, uh, he's still recognized as one of the best analysts uh, in golf. He might get another shot somewhere else. He might not, or he might start something on his own. But we wish him the best. Uh, he he has to move on from that anyway. Now, the other, the, the other part of the story, really the character and integrity of Patrick Reed, and we're going to talk about Patrick Reed in the, the – in the practice range, and it's because of the same thing. Okay. He, it's on the this full is the Patrick assault. Reed. This is this is the Patrick Reed it's show, Patrick I think. Isn't it? Yeah, it yeah. is. I mean, this we're going to talk about him three times. But in that interview, uh, Costas claimed that he witnessed Reed breaking the rules by improving improving his life multiple times. I'm going to quote him because it's important that you people, if you haven't read it or listened to it. Finally, listen to it completely, what he said. He said, I've seen Patrick Reed improve his life up close and personal four times now. He put four or five clubs behind the ball, kind of faking whether he's going to hit this shot or that shot or whatever. By the time he was done, he hit a freaking three-wood out of there. When I saw it, it was a sandwich layup originally. End of quote. Now, I look back, that incident that he appears to be referring uh, happened apparently at the 2016 at the Barclays. You can just Google it. You will see what he says. And uh, that video from the FedEx Cup playoff event definitely confirms what he, his take on what he witnessed Reed doing during the broadcast. Reed went on to win the Barclays without incident, though Costas referenced other incidents where he saw him improving his life. But when asked hey, but why you didn't call out Reed for his violation on the rules? Then he told Nolan Up that he was instructed by CBS producers that his role was to tell the story and not become the story. So he could never call a penalty on a player, but he could comment if there was a penalty called on a player. So more, and again, we're going to be talking about Patrick Reed, but Peter Costas, Another another person, another personality, golf personality that comes forward and says that he has seen Patrick Reed uh, cheating. Uh, what's your take? I mean, this was uh, something, and what he said that he was instructed not to say anything about it, basically. 
I find that a little, I don't know, difficult to believe. I don't know if really CBS will say, no, you can't comment. Something like that. That would be some some story that you called it. I don't think right now the story has been who called what he was saying, what uh, Patrick Reed was doing at the Hero World Challenge. No, nobody. I don't even remember who said it. <laughs> Everybody saw it. So if, if Peter would have said it, yeah, he said it, but the story would have been Patrick really improving his life, just like it's happening right now for what happened in December. Yeah, I, and I'm, I got a couple problems with this whole thing too, um, and I and I see a little bit. Of, it, let me back up here just a little bit. This whole Patrick Reed thing could have been shut down right after um, Tiger Woods uh, event. Um, the um, down in uh, down in the Bahamas when when Reed did that in the sand trap, that whole thing could have been shut down right then if the PGA Tour would have given him a suspension or a fine. Maybe they did give him a fine. I don't know. If they did, they didn't say anything about it, which they never do. They should have done something, and it should have been public. That would have taken care of this whole thing. Second point is Reed should have apologized. He still hasn't today. And now by winning, it almost like throws in your face. Okay, so that's the only two points I'm going to say about that right now. The other point of this is getting back to Peter Costas. Um, if this was a situation, he can't talk about it on TV. I kind of get that a little bit. Um, however, if you remember Paul Azinger at the U.S. Open at Oakmont uh, jumping on to the USGA officials, about the Dustin Johnson, um, was it a putt, wasn't it a putt, whatever. Um, you know, he kind of became the story because he kind of jumped right on them and demanded answers from them, and he wasn't getting them to his satisfaction for sure. But my point with Costas is, if you can't talk about it on TV, did he go and, and uh, you know, confront uh, Patrick Reed about that? Peter Costas can do that. The guys know who he is. The guys respect him. They know he's a, he's a teacher. He, you know, he, uh, he is uh, well-respected uh, in the golf community. He could have gone in a way to Patrick Reed and said, hey, you don't need to be doing that. I saw what you did. You don't need to be doing that. That's cheating. You cannot do that again. Did he do that? The way it sounds, he didn't. Um, and that's what I say, Carlos. A lot of this stuff can be taken care of in the locker room and away from the cameras. It, it doesn't have to be done on air. It doesn't have to be done during the tournament. It could, be, it could be handled. There are ways to handle this stuff. If Tiger Woods comes to Patrick Reed afterwards and said, uh, you know what, we saw what you did there. The guys are telling me you did this. You don't, can't do that anymore. You know, you think he's not going to listen to Tiger Woods? You think he's going to laugh in his face? I don't think even Patrick Reed would do that. I, I, I would find that very hard to believe. Um, so, you know, some of these veteran guys, even like a Nick Faldo or an Ernie Els or some of these guys, uh, Steve Stricker, they could be going to Patrick Green and say, hey, you're making yourself look really stupid, buddy. Uh, you're not helping yourself. You're not helping the game. Uh, you know, square yourself away a little bit. Um, this stuff can be handled. It doesn't have to be done the way – this whole thing has gotten blown now completely up and, and – um, I, Reed seems to love it, but it sure is not a good look for the PGA Tour and golf in general. 
So you, you think actually that the players have not gone out to him and talked to him? Because right now, at least in this at this time, I'm sure because I don't know if that's the case. I'm sure that somebody have, must have gone already to him. Look, man, just give it up. Uh, people will forget it afterwards. You know, say, I'm sorry. Yes, I did it. Uh, I shouldn't have. Uh, but that's not who I am. We have seen players do worse things and become icons afterwards. Because yes. his play yeah. his play does the talking on the course. He doesn't have to do it by those things that he – and like you're saying, Peter Costas could have told him, hey, you don't need to do that. You're good enough. But now I don't know if it's Patrick's demeanor that he needs that – type of adversity to overcome and motivate himself. If he does, then, you know, that's really sick. But uh, <laughs> I don't know if that's the case in him. Yeah, yeah. I really don't know. But the, the thing is, he, for what we see on the course, he's good enough player to be what he says, one of the top five players in the world. Like, he shuts everybody up with his play. Uh, so, why not? Just say it. Revamp your image. Just let everything out. I think he has so many things inside of him right now that we don't know. And it's not about knowing them. But, you know, there's a, some liberation sense when you just let everything out. And, you know, I've been frustrated because of this. I've been frustrated because of this other thing in my life. This happened. I'm so sorry. I'm even going to go into some counseling. And from now on, I'm going to be a better person. And I'm going to do this. He's a great guy for what he did in Saudi Arabia and the Saudi International. He was there with those kids, helping them out. He looked so great. He, he was happy. That's the different kind of Patrick Reed that we don't know. If he would be that, I assure you, players have been pardoned by worse things by the fans. The problem with him, like you're saying, is he hasn't come up forward and said, I'm sorry. If he would do that, that's it. Move forward and that's it. People will eventually shut up. So anyway, uh, we have a lot more. (laughs) I I think we talk about half of We got more Patrick Reed to come. If you, if you think we have a talk about Patrick Reed, no, we haven't. We, <laughs> we got more. more to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, let, let's move on for now on Patrick, because instead of uh, Peter, we talked about Patrick <laughs> at the end there. I anyway, uh, yeah. there's a story on a course proposed by uh, on the cool links in, in Scotland, and Scottish uh, government shut it down. So Fred, take the lead on the, take the lead on that one. Well, you know, Mike Kaiser, who is the owner of Ben Dunes and Cabot Links here in the United States, uh, wants to build a new course in, the, in northern Scotland near Dornoch. And uh, he has contracted his favorite duo, Corin Crenshaw, to build it. But the Scottish, and, and they had gotten permission to start the planning, but Scottish dissidents and environmentalists uh, petitioned the Scottish government to reconsider their their uh, approval of the planning process and the regulators who gave the go-ahead last june um were kind of uh slapped on the back of the hand by the scottish government uh who called for further scrutiny and lo and behold after that they rescinded the uh permission to begin the planning process um on this uh, cool links golf course in scotland um they uh you know the 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 planners the the, the Kaiser group 
said that the plan would have supported economic growth and rural development, which is true. But um, the, uh, the, the government-appointed planning officials' findings then came that this, this golf course would have significant effects on rare plant life, wintering and breeding birds, and the dunes themselves along the coastline that borders up to the edge of the property. Um, we're, they're talking about 32 acres of the property, not the whole thing, just 32 acres of it. So um, they, they just feel like the, 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 they came back and said they feel like the detriment to the natural heritage is outweighed by the socioeconomic benefits that uh, the country would receive. So, um, you know, to boil it down, um, the, uh, the developers behind the project argued um, that it's still going to be economically feasible. It's going to be very conservation-minded, very environmental safe. Um, but um, one environmentalist remarked, the decision sends out a clear signal that Scotland's finest landscapes, habitats, and beauty spots aren't simply up for sale to the highest bidders. So it uh, seems like a lot of to do over a little golf course to me, which golf courses in general uh, are very environmentally safe and very environmentally sound, what they do. Um, a little bit of coastline, there's a lot of coastline around Scotland, so... I don't know that, uh, you know, maybe a couple thousand feet are going to make that much difference, but uh, they're holding up Kaiser's Cool Links golf course. I don't know if it'll get done. Uh, so it's kind of a setback for that, Carlos. Definitely. And, uh, you know, I, I, I let me, let me <laughs> rephrase what I was going to say. Um, <laughs> I am not against environmentalists. But sometimes, and I don't have the full knowledge on what happened here, but uh, I sometimes I get the feeling that they try to get into everything just for the heck of it. It's just I, I know their way or or their way. There's no there's no other way. Um, there's no the, middle ground. The, the yeah. Important. Yeah, and uh, I don't know again all the details on this one, but I would say that Scotland, which the home of golf <laughs> you would say they would be off for anything golf right or maybe they're tired of so many golf courses i don't know the 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 they promised their 250 jobs uh 60 million pounds for the local economy in its first 10 years that's about six million for a small town uh, that would have been uh incredible i mean the local business yeah uh Good had some ball. support yeah. Yeah, but the environmentalists fought hard to prevent those plans. And uh, it's really because this guy was just a really in influential environmentalist there, the Reverend Paul Rooney. He's the head of the geography and environmental science at the Liverpool Hope University. He was the leader uh, expert on evidence on behalf of the Scottish natural heritage at the planning inquiry. So... I mean, this guy, I looked it up, he's an international authority on the ecology and management of coastal dunes, and he also directs the UK sand dune network based at the Liverpool Hope University. So if he's saying it, 
uh, wow, that that's a guy that really has some reputation, and I think that's where things. The maybe the Scottish government said, "Well, this guy has some some background and some history. He he should know." Uh, but one thing that he did say is that he did praise the Cool Links decision, but then he said, "Not all golf developments are detrimental to the environment." And on the country, he was arguing that the golf community can be important custodians of coastal dunes, which provide some of the finest places for the sport. So what he was saying is that they maintain those coastal dunes. So in this case, why this one was different? That's why I'm torn between them. And that's why I started by saying I'm not against them, but I have to say there has to be something there because if he's saying that the golf community are important custodians of coastal dunes because of the maintenance they do to their golf courses. Now, of course, as a byproduct, the coastal dunes will be that. Then there's like a, this mixed uh, message or anything. But I will say that there might have been some truth to it there on this specific golf course planning. Now, let's go down and talk about the PGL. The Premier Golf oh. League. Yeah, we haven't talked oh, about this. This is something yet. we haven't been talking about. Wow, this is the first <laughs> time I think we're going to talk about this. It's just like Patrick, yeah. we, we never talked. Yeah. But anyway, let's start talking about Rory McIlroy. You know, he, this is known. He grew up idolizing Tiger Woods. Uh, and these days, now he's a four-time major on his own. And maybe he arguably... He's the brightest star and the one that's starting to move the needle post-Woods or behind Woods, right? Because Woods still on its own. But in other words, when he speaks, his words really carry on and people listen. Because Roy McIlroy, anything that he says is taken either out of context or whatever. It makes news. So... Even Matt Kutcher said that there are only a handful of guys that carry the tour, and Rory is one of them. So when he said last Wednesday on the WGC Mexico Championship, when they told him about the idea of that much publicized but still very much fantastical Premier Golf League, uh, he said, I'm out. <laughs> that means something. Now, what exactly, uh, that's what you can then go on. Because he before has said, you know, I, I don't, want to be part of it I don't think uh, I want to be on that side I think it'll bring some change uh, and it really has made some change if, if you come to think about it because already the the purse for this player's uh, championship has been bumped up to 15 million dollars that's up from 12.5 million ago a year ago so that news that came as talk of the PGA started to ramp up so now there's also a new television deal that could be announced by this year's players that will also likely lead to higher purses. So there's some already movement towards that. But more importantly, uh, I think Jake Monahan, the commissioner, must have been like celebrating when he heard McElroy's words. Uh, that has to be welcome news to the PGA Tour commissioner. Take it from the reigning FedEx Cup champ. He's the player of the year. And he's the number one player in the world. So whatever he says, people are going to listen. But he's the first high-profile player to publicly choose one side because Tiger Woods has been noncommittal 
He's been like, oh, yeah, it looks interesting. Uh, I don't know. I don't think so. But he hasn't said no. Phil Mickelson, the other high-profile player that you would say what he's going to do, he's, uh, I'm intrigued. Um, I don't know yet, but I'll say something by the players. So for now, McElroy seems like the only one saying no. And even Shane Lowry pointed out that if the Premier Golf League can't, can't land McElroy and other big names, then it's dead on arrival. That's what he says. And definitely that's the point to make. Even though uh, there are some split within the player's side, because I hear, I hear a lot about the, this word intriguing. I'm going to call it the, the intriguing premium golf league. That's what I'm going to call it from now on. Because <laughs> players and even Billy Horschel who, along with McElroy, is part of that uh, Players Advisory Council, he says, well, uh, yeah, he says he's not doing it, but why? Uh, he looks at things from many perspectives, so I would like to know why. And there's other players that say that, but, Fred, uh, the bottom line is, if that league doesn't get people like Ray McElroy, Tiger Woods, by the time this this tour starts, may or may not be at a point that he can say, okay, I'm the top player of the world or compete at that level. So even though he might move the needle, it's like trying to get uh, George Foreman after retirement, trying to be the head of boxing again. He won't be on that. He's not going to drive that many players to go there. So Roy McIlroy, even the, the money, he's saying no to it. So uh, what about Roy McIlroy saying, uh, saying no and the prospects that that means towards the PGL. Carlos, this this uh, issue, this story, has many, many levels. Uh, and we can't go into all of them tonight. We've talked about the PGL before, but I'm going to try and keep this fairly brief and, and touch, some of these, touch some of these things. Number one, uh, we haven't, everything's been kind of behind the scenes so far. We've been kind of going on rumor and conjecture. But the, uh, the head of this group that's starting this thing, that, that came up with this idea, uh, uh, I think his name's Alan Gardner, was uh, talking to Rick Shields on his podcast last week. And I did listen to about half of that podcast. I didn't get a chance to listen to the whole thing. I listened to it while I was sitting in an airport. And um, um, he laid out how the plan works. And there is an individual uh, uh, component and a team component. Uh, the teams are made up of four players, and uh, there's a captain or a manager or a coach, whatever you want to say. And so every week, each each of the players, each of the 18 tournaments, or I guess 17 tournaments actually for the individual competition, they all have to play. All 48 players have to play in all. And, uh, and then all play as an individual to accumulate points to be in the championship, which is the 17th event. Um but the manager or the principal or whatever you want to call it picks two of the players that week out of the four-man team to count towards the team score. So then the 18th event is the team championship, and you accumulate points throughout the year by your captain picking your two that's going to play every week to put you up in good shape so you can win the – and it's going to be – the championship is going to be a $40 million purse. So we're talking about some pretty big money here, okay? In addition to every all the other tournaments being a $10 million purse. Um, so that being said, with that background from listening to that, 
Uh, and this guy is a golf fan. He's a golf freak. He loves this. He's tried to combine um, elements of soccer and baseball and football and basketball, the team concept and playoffs and all that kind of thing. He's tried to incorporate some of that stuff in there. So that was his goal. Okay. Now, you talked about uh, um, the, the PAC, the Players' Action Committee, um, and Charlie Hoffman said, again, I think it's intriguing. Another group are willing to dump a bunch of money and try to guarantee us money. That is the key word in this whole deal, Carlos, guarantee. Uh, in NFL, there's hardly any guaranteed money. In pro baseball, NMB, most of it is guaranteed money. Where they play, they get injured, they still get paid. In pro golf, you don't play, you don't get paid. There's nobody guaranteeing you any money. And these guys, that's you know, they lay awake at night and worry about this kind of stuff. Am I going to slip on a banana peel tomorrow and mess up my knee and be done playing for the rest of my life? Um, so guaranteed money is a big deal. Um, and, and that's what gets their attention when a guy starts talking about that. So the other point that I want to throw in here just real quick, Carlos, is that nobody's talking about, and something that nobody ever talks about, is the, re, the PGA Tour's retirement plan. It is gigantic. If you make 250 cuts on the PGA Tour, you are going to get a retirement plan that is out of this world. The money that Tiger Woods is going to get is astronomical. The money that Rory McIlroy is going to get is astronomical. Um, the, the, if you're just an average guy and hang in there and, and make cuts and stay in around for, uh, you know, for about 13, 14 years and make 250 cuts, you're going to get a tremendous retirement plan. If they walk away from the PGA Tour, they walk away from that retirement money. Uh, the the, the PGL, PGL is not offering that kind of retirement plan, to my understanding. So you might get more money today, but 15 or 20 years from now, you ain't getting any money when you're done playing. So two things, Carlos, boils down to me in this whole deal is guaranteed money and retirement plan. And then if you don't have a guy like Rory McIlroy, you ain't going to go anywhere anyhow. So there you go, Carlos. Yeah, like you said, I think we would be talking about the the whole uh, the whole show about this. Like, uh, there's yeah. so many ramifications, and if we start going down that rabbit trail that you just said about the the retirement, I mean, we don't know exactly what the PGA the PGL is really going to offer. Uh, it might be, but again, like you're saying, 250 cuts to get to 250 cuts. When you already have this history on the PGA Tour, which is one of the things that, that Rory is bringing up, there's some history here. There's some things already in place that I'm not willing to let go. Okay? So the, he, he even said that he wanted to be like Arnold Palmer when the, Greg Norman on that side, when Greg Norman was talking about the World Tour. I do think, still think that there's going to be some things, like he's saying, that both tours, the European Tour and the PGA Tour, are going to do. I don't think the PGL is going to go too far on this, but we'll see. And it's something that we will continue to talk about like we're doing all the time. I mean, we're, this is just news <laughs> every week. It's become a main story. It's, it, it, you know, yep. Patrick Reed and the, and the premier golf league so far in 2020, 
um, you know, we're two months into the year, and those are by far the two biggest stories. Not the lead up to the players, who's really playing right now, not the lead up to the Masters. Um, you know, the, the Genesis Championship took, took notice because of the strength of field there for, for a week. But week in and week out, we're talking about the PGL, PGL and then Patrick Reed. That's, that, those are two main stories so far this year. Right now, when we are faced with counting down the top 10 stories of 2020, this too, I think there's going to have to be eight, 10 more to take them out of the top 10. <laughs> really big. Yeah. Really big. Yeah. So anyway, let's move on to the next one. Uh, you know, just barely two weeks after the USDA and the RNA jointly released that much-anticipated distance insights project. The CEO of one of the leading equipment manufacturers has weighed in with his thoughts on one of the hottest topics in golf. Uh, this is another one, the distance report. We forgot about it. This is another big one. And it was just a matter of time before one of those companies that are really, they're not accused of, you know, lengthening the ball and the game, but they have to have something to say. So David Mayer, Mayer who's the CEO and president of Tyler Lee's parent company, Akushnet, they released a statement last Wednesday, Wednesday reacting to the report's findings that further distance increases would be detrimental to the overall health of the game. Of course, with Tyler is at the forefront of distance and technology innovation, really the, maybe the past two decades, it's not surprising really that Maher offered a dissenting take on the issue. I mean, he, we can talk about three things basically that he talked uh, on that release, defending what was, uh, what is their position. And according to him, also the rules are already in place. He says they have been effective in setting upper limits on equipment performance. He says that they have ensured that the key factor in performance separation remains the skill of the player and really not the level of technology in his hands. Uh, he also tackled on a, one of your favorite topics, which is uh, bifurcation. And of course, I'm being just uh, you know, not real on this one. You don't like the bifurcation. But <laughs> it really continues to gain traction as a possible solution to what the distance report is describing as a problem. So he also talked about the concept of uh, that rule and he disagreed with them, but uh, it's interesting and it's, it's to be expected. The manufacturers are going to push back. The RNA and the USDA are going to continue that development. And we already uh, saw an update on this because the USDA already issued an official response to Maher's statement, noting in part that the, uh, the, their views, the distance debate as a multifaceted long-term issue that impacts everyone. What did they mean by that? I have absolutely no clue. I still trying <laughs> to figure out what they meant. It was like a, I was expecting a, you know, shut up, we're doing this, and uh, but I, I don't know, they, I don't know what they said. Uh, it was like a, uh huh, and. What else you want to say? But anyway, it's what it's expected. We know that the manufacturers are going to push back. The USGA and the RNA are not going to go back. Uh, this is an ongoing uh, 
release uh, of of news and we're going to continue to see more on it but uh, at some point there has to be maybe a happy medium place Fred for both uh for both industries the governing bodies and the manufacturers there has to be something that is going to be done but at the end of the day I think we are both clear where the RNA and the USGA are going to yeah, and I just wanted to uh, just bring this up because this is really the first time we had heard from an equipment manufacturer directly. And I I, I read this. It was uh, it was a clear, you know, it was it was a statement paper. Uh, you know, about 750, 800 words. Um, I'm just going to bring out a couple things, and you touched on the one, uh, the one paragraph. We believe the conclusions drawn in this report. We're talking about the USGA's distance report undervalue the skill and athleticism of the game's various players and focus far too much on the top of the men's professional game and project this on golf and golfers as a whole. Uh, Furthermore, we believe the existing equipment regulations effectively govern the prospects of any significant increases in hitting distance by the game's auxiliaries. They've they've restricted the the MOI on the face of the club. They've restricted uh, what the construction can be on the equipment. So, you know, I don't know how much more they can do unless they change some other, you know, they got to change some other stuff, maybe the ball. So uh, that was his point on that. I thought that was really well said. And then your point, Carlos, where you brought up about the bifurcation, he says, we believe that playing by a unified set of rules coalesces our game in an essential part of its global understanding and appeal and eliminates the inconsistency and instability that would come from multiple sets of equipment standards. And so that's the case against bifurcation. So as I've said, you know, guys want to play the same equipment. They want to play the same courses. They want to see how they do when they go to a course that the pros play using the same equipment from the same teeth. Uh, We all know how that turns out, but guys want to do that, and they pay a lot of money to do that. And so the equipment companies don't want to change that for sure. So I don't know that I'm drawing any conclusions from this, Carlos. I just really wanted to put this in here so that we reported that a Kushnet who, who owns Titleist, uh, their CEO is going on record to make a statement uh, in rebuttal to the USGA and the RNA. And we'll continue as more news come forward to see what's going on in this. So we already have three big news, right? The, this, the distance report, we have Patrick Reed, and we have the PGL. Three Big news already, and we have, what, one month and 25 days of this year. It's incredible. <laughs> but anyway, let's move on now to our final piece. I'm sure we're going to be talking about the distance report for months to come. But now this <laughs> yeah. one is an, one interesting. Top golf is breaking the mold in the golf industry again. You know, they're the golf entertainment giant, and let's put it that way, golf entertainment. You know, they're, they're known for its three-story, new-age driving ranges that makes technology and socialization. But they're going to be introducing a new 36-bay single-floor venue in Augusta, Georgia. But it's not Where? only that it's in Augusta. Is during this year's Masters tournament. Uh, <laughs> did Fred Ridley, did Fred Ridley sign know. off on this? Does he know about this? I don't know. I'm sure he doesn't. And this has become maybe right now he should be with the lawyers. Right now, there's something we're going to have to report on this back because I don't think he signed off on this one. 
You well, this Augusta location will mark the debut of uh, Top Golf's new venue concept. Uh, I mean, others are set to open this year in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and Waco, Texas. But the introduction at the home of the Masters, which is the golf season's first major championship. I don't know. That's unquestionably an attention-grabbing stage as Top Golf continues to offer consumers new ways to engage the game. Now. Augusta's single-story venue will be located at the village at Riverwatch. For those of you who don't know, that's just about two miles, two miles, five minutes away from Augusta National Golf Club, not far from the Savannah River and the South Carolina border. <laughs> so it will host several events during the week of the Masters and is scheduled to open to the public the following week. So why? Why? Of course, I mean, they will feature the same games that Top Golf uh, guests are accustomed to, but it will be the first location to feature the full top rate, top tracer range uh, ball tracking system to score each shot. But again, Fred, Top Golf really wants to make a statement by going opposite on the same big stage that Augusta National is going to have the Masters that week because they open the next week. It's all the different fanfare and events that they're going to have that week that is also grabbing the attention. They're not only two miles away from Augusta, they're taking it to them right on the week of the Masters. Well, this is like a marketing genius, right? I mean, this marketing guy, whatever he's making, is earning his money this week for sure for Top Golf. So Masters Week, it's going to be an unusually busy time in Augusta. Uh, first, you have the best women amateur golfers competing in the Augusta National Women's Amateur um, during the week. They wrap up on Saturday. On Sunday morning, there's the drive, chip, and putt for the juniors. In the afternoon, the past champions are honored with uh, an enjoyable round of golf on Sunday afternoon. Tuesday evening, of course, is the uh, Tiger will host the champions dinner. Uh, Jack, Gary, and Tom will kick it off early Thursday morning with the honorary first tee shots. Plus, Top Golf is going to open its newest location in Augusta near the fabled Augusta National Golf Club. That is just phenomenal. Top Golf right in the right in the home of the Masters. How about that? What do you think Cliff Roberts or Bobby Jones would uh, think about Top Golf right beside <laughs> the Augusta National Golf Club? The hat's got to make them turn over in their grave, doesn't it? <laughs> preposterous. Preposterous, yes, exactly. <laughs> I thought that was a pretty funny story. I like that. I, You know, Top Golf is great. They run a, several million people, what, 15 million people a year through their facilities, and so at least they're being, uh, you know, uh, presented with golf, whether they ever golf again or not. Uh, it's more of a party venue than a golfing uh, venue, but uh, – but still, it's uh, a golf-related. We got to bring you. We got to bring the news story, Carlos. We got to bring it to you. Hey, we're fair and square. We bring everything golf. We told you that if it's happening golf, we have it for you. And this one, I have to agree. I mean, I, I, the, the the take I took at the first time when I when I was talking about the story, it was really a, a little funny on that side and trying to be sarcastic about it. But really. It's a genius uh, marketing piece, and it's a great move by them 
talking fair now, having all that people that are going to be there that week, you're offering just one more thing for them to socialize on. Because all the activity is going on during the day on the Masters. What do you have to do at night? Come on. Socialize with me. You have music. You have everybody there. So all the events that they're going to be having during that week, I'm sure is going to be geared towards attracting those people that are going to be there. And, uh, hey, Augusta is not open all day, all year long. Topgolf has their base are uh, weather controlled, so climate control, so they can be open the whole year. It's a smaller concept. It's 36 base. Usually, uh, Top Golf has uh, three three stories, and it's about 102 bays. So it's a very different concept. But also, I mean, again, just to finish it up, genius. I have to agree with you, uh, a genius from their part. And with that, we wrap up our Par Five news. And now, let's talk practice range. Where every week, Fred and I pick a topic, and each one of us takes our own shots at it. And we're going to talk about something that we have not talked about the whole show. <laughs> for at least three or four minutes. The whole show for the last uh, 15 minutes. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah. well, we, we, I'm, I'm, I'm not lying. We didn't talk the whole show. We have talked about it on pieces. Now we're going to talk a little bit more. And it's about Patrick Reed. I mean, Patrick, the cheating talk, uh, he keeps winning this win. Uh, the question is, what about him? What's going to happen moving forward? Is he going to gain some fans? Are fans going to turn against him? Uh, what's going to happen? And, of course, he's on its way to be on the Ryder Cup. There's no way that the way that he's, unless he falls out of the face of the earth, that he's not going to make that team. He's at home. So what side would fans take? That's my question. You are playing against it's America's team with Captain America, basically. Maybe Captain Chaos. I don't know how they're going to call it. Captain Chaos is better, yeah. Yeah, I don't know what you're going to do with him because it's Patrick Reed from the U.S. against Team Europe. Uh, Yay. (laughs) What's going to happen with the fans, right? And what's going to happen moving forward? So, Fred... uh, let me give you the, the, the first take on this. Um, Patrick Reed and what you think is happening and what's going to happen more in golf with him. Well, again, there's just a lot of things in this. And, you know, we keep thinking it's maybe it'll go away, but guys like Kepka and, and Costas keep bringing it up, you know, regurgitating it. So, um, and then we're stupid enough to keep talking about it. And maybe we just uh, stirring it up even more. But I find it curious. Um, you know, the fans really seem to be rooting for Patrick Reed in Mexico last weekend. I, I, uh, and they seem to be rooting against DeChambeau, which I, I found really surprising. I, I probably would have been the other way, uh, hoping for DeChambeau to be doing well and Reed not so much, just because I feel they really did cheat uh, at the Hero. And, and I, you know, I really don't care to see Patrick do that well. I think he's killing himself. But, you know, he seems to thrive in that, as we said earlier. So, anyhow, is this going to gain any more fans? Now, I I point out the John Daly syndrome. You know, it seemed like the worst trouble that John Daly got in and the more problems he seemed to have, um, people seemed to relate to him more, and he gained more fans. Um, So, 
Um, the hardcore uh, country club stiff upper lip type, no. But the you know the guys that drink a six pack or a twelve pack while they're playing and uh, you know have the music going and a lot more laid back and um, you know more of the blue collar kind of crowd, I think they're going to jump in with Patrick and it's kind of like them against the world. You're not keeping me down. I can you know I'll fight back and all this stuff. And so those kind of guys are going to continue to root for Patrick. So and he might even appeal to. Uh, maybe the younger, more rebellious kind of segment uh, of golf fans. Can he help bring more fans to golf? Ah, I don't know. Maybe. Those blue-collar, working man, you know, kind of guy, maybe. I don't know. So, uh, Ryder Cup, you know, is he going to garner the kind of uh, uh, respect and, uh, you know, adulation that he's gotten in past Ryder Cups? He didn't do so well at the last one coming off, you know, uh, the problems that he had the one before, and he played like crap. Um, so I don't know. Uh, he he needs to have a really – the rest of this year needs to be really good, and he really needs to have a really good Ryder Cup to really win back a lot of fans, in my opinion, Carlos. Yeah, I – you know, it's funny and not funny. It's really interesting – when you talked about the John Daly syndrome, I, I, I honestly can see him going that way. Um, because as you saw in Mexico, maybe that's because he's, he was outside of the U.S. I think that maybe outside, uh, maybe not in Europe, but maybe internationally, because he was well-received in Saudi. Now, he's been well-received in, 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 in Japan. There hasn't been that much of those reactions to him, maybe outside of the U.S. and Europe, which goes to your point towards those classic fans are the really the ones that are taking it to him, and maybe the ones that are casual fans and that are reading and listening about it can identify to, you know, they're just taking it too hard on this guy. Even Rory, I remember when he said that uh, – yeah, he did that, but I think still that people are taking it too hard on him. They should just back off a little bit. And uh, I kind of sense it that way as well. I understand he's, he's going to be hard to root for moving forward until he owns up to it. But I, I really don't see him owning up to it. He's doing really good. He's going to make the Ryder Cup. There's no way he's not going to make that. And he played, yeah, he didn't play well on that one, but he did play well on the on the President's Cup. It's a different venue, different thing, but he's going to be home. I think at the end of the day, people are going to root for him. There are going to be people rooting for him because it's the lesser of the two evils. And that, I think it's going to be, a turning point of what we're going to expect from Patrick Reed. There's still uh, six months to go before we see the Ryder Cup. So there are a lot of things that happened before that. Maybe he wins a major. Maybe he wins again the, the, the Masters. I don't know what's going to happen. He might win the FedEx Cup. He might go on and become the world's number one player. Or he just can fall out of the face of the earth. Who knows what's going to happen in six months. But I think that's going to be a very defining moment when fans are going to have to choose which of the, le- of the two evils are you going to go for. That's why I said when they announced Patrick Reed, 
how are they going to react? They have to say, am I going to root for Team Europe or am I going to go for my guy who is at least he's from America and he's from my team. I want Team Team USA to win. So it's going to be interesting. I think that's going to be the turning point. And I don't see him saying I'm sorry from here on because he's not struggling. He's at the end of the day, he's thriving on it. And people are furious, and but I, what I see is just, like you're saying, those classic fans and commentators and the people that are owning up to the traditional golf and rules to play are the ones that are his biggest criticism, criticizing people. So to him, he's just, you know, I'm going to show you up. I'm just going to come here and do my, my thing and win. Fred... I, I don't know if it's going to bring more fans to golf, but it's going to bring more eyes to it because right now that's what is happening. Even I had this uh, this uh, person that I, I worked with that he said to me, hey, I know you talk about golf. What about that Patrick Reed situation? What's going on with that? So it's going transcending golf yeah. to other people yeah. Yeah. about what what is that Patrick Reed? So it's going to bring eyes, maybe not fans. Maybe, the, maybe it does. Maybe it brings because – like Dennis Rodman, uh, he was controversial as it came, but on the court, Dennis Rodman. Dennis Rodman, I, I want him on my team. <laughs> I don't want yeah. him. I don't want yeah. him. I want yeah. him in my team, and that's the same thing that you might say about Patrick Reed. He does his job, and uh, bad publicity is publicity, anyways. The only, I guess my final comment for tonight, Carlos, is that at the end, it's supposed to be a gentleman's game. Uh, you're supposed to call your own penalties. And if you do things like he did, you're supposed to recognize that and, and say something about it. He has never apologized or accepted responsibility for those actions at the Hero last December, and they were obvious. They were just clearly obvious. Um, so... But, Carlos, the sad part about all this is that Patrick Reed has won eight events on the PGA Tour in seven years. He's won two FedEx Cup playoff events. He's won two WGCs and the Masters, all of which are some of the best fields in golf. So he can beat the best players. He's a top player. He was a star of the 2017 Ryder Cup at Hazel team. And as we talked about, he's dubbed Captain America. He's a great player. This is really unfortunate that we have to talk about this caliber of a player and dub him a cheater in a sport that prides itself on being a gentleman's game and polices itself, Carlos. Yeah, are we sending the wrong message by saying what he did is fine and he shouldn't own up to it and rooting for him or are we sending the right message by saying hey yeah you should uh you should apologize uh, own it up mind it up and do the right thing but i guess this is another story that we'll continue to talk about maybe on a weekly basis because he's going to keep playing and things are going to keep popping up uh but you know definitely uh, my take I, yeah go ahead. if i were if our commissioner for the day if i'm jay monahan I, I call Patrick in. I say, Patrick, you know what? Um, your little deal there, this is getting out of hand, so we're all going to quit talking about it. And uh, here's the deal. Your fine is going to be uh, $500,000 uh, in a, in a uh, three-week, 
three-week uh, uh, suspension, or you're going to come out and publicly apologize and do a mea culpa on this thing, and I'll reduce it to a $50,000 fine. Um, that would take care of it in a heartbeat. I'm, I'm done. Sorry. <laughs> no, I, I agree until something gets done about it from either side, either the tour or Patrick. This is not going to go away. But with that, we close the practice range. Every week we pick a topic and talk about it, and this week was Patrick Reed. Now let's close the show with our final pods. I'm going to talk first about uh, the USGA. The road to the wing foot is officially mapped out. They, they announced a list of 12 final qualifying sites, venues whereby approximately half the field will punch their ticket to this summer's U.S. Open after conducting 109 local 18 qualifiers from late April to early May, the SGA will turn their attention to a dozen 36-hole qualifiers held across four different countries. Several, which were previously sectional, qualifying sites are familiar, and for the second year in a row, there will be a qualifier held in Canada ahead of the RBC Canadian Open. But two courses are hosting final qualifiers for the first time. That's going to be Pumpkin Ridge Golf Club in Oregon and the club at Admirals Cove in Florida. Some of the, uh, maybe the Lake Merced Golf Club and the Olympic Golf Club, the Ocean Course in, in California might be the most known of them. There's going to be one near you on the Brookside Country Club and the Lakes Country Club in Columbus, Ohio. So that you might be going there, but it's going to be played also in Japan, yeah. in England and Canada. So also the other piece of news that I'm going to talk about is that John Ram, with that victory, uh, John Ram became the first player. Uh, he was presented on Wednesday with the Seve Ballesteros Award for being the 2019 European Tours Player of the Year. That following season that saw him claim the Euro Tour victories, including the DP World Tour Championship and the Race to Dubai title. So for him, of course, uh, being from Spain, uh, and knowing that Seve's huge influence on him, that was an incredible honor. That's a person that almost every Spanish player looks up to. And uh, for John Ram, uh, we have talked about him ever since uh, he started that it's just a matter of when, not of if, he's going to be the world's number one player pretty soon. And he could have done it this past week with a win. But uh, John Ram, I mean, a great player, great person. He shows that fire just like Seve had. And uh, he embodies everything that those Spanish players before, great Spanish players before him showed up. And uh, very well-deserving John on winning the Seve Award. Uh, Just a couple things real quick, Carlos. Uh, The RNA and Annika Sornstan will debut the Women's Latin American Amateur in Argentina September 2020. Uh, So the RNA and Annika Foundation are launching this new Women's Amateur for Latin American Ladies. Uh, It'll be held at uh, Pilar Golf in uh, September 3rd through the 6th. Um, And forms are now available to sign up for that. Um, And uh, that's in Buenos Aires, by the way. Um, Also, it's uh, really nice to see that Annika Sorenstam continues to have this kind of impact on women's golf internationally. I I think this is really, really a good deal. 
Uh, Derek Busby from Louisiana fired rounds of 67, 65, 74 to win the Gasparilla Championship, a top amateur tournament. The Gasparilla always has a strong Florida as well as national mix of top amateurs and is an indicator for the upcoming summer season of amateur golf. Carlos, I want to remind our listeners to enter the drawing for the French Lick Golf Trip Giveaway. Simply visit ohiogolfjournal.com and sign up or register for that. Uh, Check out back9report.com or back9reporttv on Roku for our latest videos. Uh, We keep uh, putting stuff up on that all the time, and we're putting up stuff on our trip and different places we've been. So, uh, Carlos, that's all I've got for tonight, February 25th, 2020. Yeah, I had one more piece of news I had here, and I just pull it up uh, that I wanted to add for that final pods. Uh, and uh, I, today was announced that Royal Troon will be hosting the 2023 Open Championship. And that was announced today. So last time was 2016. That was that famous uh, Henrik Stenson outlasting Phil Mickelson in that thrilling final day uh, duel. But the question, big one that comes with that is that when or where the four-time open host Turnberry stands on the Rota. Last time that Turnberry had the Open Championship was in 2009, seven years prior to Troon's last Open. So that was brought up to Martin Slumbers, and Slumbers said, we don't have a Rota. We have 10 courses that we look to stage the Open Championship on. Of course, uh, Turnberry is one of them. It'll be consideration for 2024, but it's not a Rota. I don't know, man. There's something there. <laughs> They're just ghosting Turnberry towards being that. The next, uh, as this year, it'll be Royal St. George. Next week, next year, it'll be St. Andrews for the 150 Open Championship. Royal Liverpool will be 2022. 2023 will be Royal Troon. The reason for that, they say, is because it's the 100th anniversary of the first time that it was played there but with that we'll back niners will wrap up another week of the back nine report thank you for listening it's always our pleasure to bring you the latest on the world of golf don't forget to join us again next tuesday 8 p.m eastern time here on block talk radio or if you missed it check it out on itunes or tune in also like fred's mentioned roku tv and if you haven't done so it's time for you to follow our show on twitter our id is at back nine report with the number nine in the middle my name is carlos torres along with fred Vader. we wish you to be happy be blessed and enjoy the great game of golf happy golfing everybody good night everybody Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. 
No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.